Welcome to Historical Jesus. I'm Mark Vinette. Let's continue to listen to Bishop Robert Barron's spiritual interpretation of Mary learning that she would conceive and bear a son through a virgin birth and become the mother of Jesus. I'm standing in the ruins of the ancient Cathedral Church at Ephesus. A council took place here in the year 431. At issue was the articulation of the nature and person of Jesus. Go back to that question that Jesus himself posed at Banias. Who do people say that I am? That question haunted the mind of the early church, and the greatest intellects of the time strove mightily to answer it. Progress was made at the Council of Nicaea in 325, then the Council of Constantinople in 381. But in the 420s, a new controversy arose. Due to the teaching of Nestorius, who was the Bishop of Constantinople, he was very influenced by the Antioch school, which placed a great stress on the humanity of Jesus. He said that in Christ, two persons come together, divine and human, in a sort of intense moral union. This meant that Mary, who was responsible for the human element in Jesus, could be called Christotokos, bearer of Christ, but not Theotokos not mother of God. In fact, Nestorius thought it was the height of blasphemy to say that God has a mother. Well, Cyril, who was the Bishop of Alexandria, took issue with this, and he thought that Nestorius was a heretic. And he called for the council that met here in the summer of 431. After much deliberation, the council fathers determined that Jesus ought not to be thought of simply as a human person with an intense relationship to the person of God. For that would make him a sort of supreme saint but not the incarnate Son of God. In his unique person, divinity and humanity come together. And this means, the Council Fathers concluded, Nestorius was wrong to deny of Mary her title, Theotokos. Because if Jesus truly is divine, and Mary's the mother of Jesus, she ought to be called the mother of God. When this formal declaration was made, the common people of Ephesus celebrated that night with a torch-lit parade. This is a very good example of the general principle that whatever we say about Mary is meant not so much to draw attention to her as to Christ. To say that Mary is the mother of God is to defend that densely textured claim that Jesus truly is divine, that in him God became one of us. Fulton J. Sheen said that Mary's like the moon. Hers is always a reflected light coming from a greater source. There are two doctrines concerning Mary that were formally declared only in relatively recent years, but whose provenance is quite ancient. The dogmas of the Immaculate Conception and the Assumption of the Virgin. Notice how physical, even disturbingly so, these teachings are. How they compel us to see God's activity in regard to the lowly human body. In this, once again, they are Christological in purpose, since they speak of Incarnation. In 1854, Pope Pius IX declared that Mary, through a special grace, was preserved free from original sin from the moment of her conception. This is why the angel at the Annunciation could refer to her as full of grace. Were she simply, like the rest of us, tainted by original sin, she would have fallen almost certainly into a variety of actual sins. But God preserved her, the church teaches, from sin, and hence, filled her with grace from the first moment of her life. Now, why would God do this? 
And wouldn't this teaching somehow imply that Mary doesn't need to be saved? Well, the answer traditionally to the first question is that God wanted to prepare a worthy vessel for the reception of his word. Just as the Holy of Holies in the Jerusalem temple was kept pure and inviolate, so this definitive temple, this new Holy of Holies, should be untrammeled. He also knew that Mary would play a decisive role in the history of salvation, that she'd be tightly associated with the work of her son. Therefore, it was fitting, appropriate, that she, like him, should be sinless. And the answer to the second question is this. Mary is, like the rest of us, saved by the grace of Christ. But since that grace is, properly speaking, eternal or outside of time, it can be applied in a way that undermines the ordinary rhythm of time. Thus it was by a kind of preemptive strike that Christ's grace removed sin from the Blessed Mother, even before Christ appeared physically. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-218-6010. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-218-6010. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-218-6010. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. This doctrine received a most surprising ratification in a humble French town nestled in the foothills of the Pyrenees. In February of 1858, the six members of the Subiru family lived in this tiny one-room hovel. It was called Le Cachot because it was a converted prison. The city officials of Lourdes evidently felt that the conditions here were too harsh and primitive for the prisoners. Really, it was little more than a cave. On February the 11th, 1858, the eldest Subiru child, Bernadette, made her way from this place to Massabiel, a garbage dump on the outskirts of the little town of Lourdes. She had come there with one of her sisters and a friend to look for wood with which to heat her family's home. While her friend scampered away, Bernadette, due to her asthma, stayed behind near the gob, a fast-flowing river. She felt a puff of wind and heard a sound. When she turned to see what had caused the stir, she spied a beautiful young woman clothed in white and with a yellow rose on each of her feet. Instinctually, Bernadette reached for her rosary, and the woman, who had a spectacular rosary of pearl, began to pray along with her. When Bernadette finished the prayer, the woman smiled and disappeared. Bernadette felt compelled to return to Massabiel, so the next day she came to the spot with a few of her friends. She again saw the lady, but this time the mysterious visitor spoke. Would you do me the favor of returning for the next 15 days? And then she had a message for the priests. Build a temple on this site and let processions count. 
When Bernadette brought this message to the parish priest, Father Parimal, she was sharply rebuked. Yet she continued, despite mockery and official opposition, to come. On one of her visits, the lady asked her to dig into the ground and find a spring. When she did so, people thought that she had lost her mind. But in time, water indeed flowed from the spot, and eventually a severely crippled young boy was cured after bathing in it. Bernadette came for those 15 days, and she communed with the lady. But despite the speculations of many, she never claimed to know who this mysterious visitor was. She referred to her only as the lady, or in her own local dialect, Aquero, that one. On March 24th, the eve of the Feast of the Annunciation, she felt an inner impulse to go to the grotto. The lady was there to meet her, and Bernadette felt the urge to ask her name. Three times she petitioned, and finally the lady looked at her with a serious expression, and her voice trembling with emotion. She said, I am the Immaculate Conception. How wonderful and typical that Mary should appear to such a poor and humble soul. In her great Magnificat in Luke's Gospel, Mary sings the praises of the God who cast down the mighty from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. Bernadette, who was herself something of a cave girl, was visited by the Immaculate Conception, by the Queen of Heaven, who received the message of the angel in a hovel and gave birth to the Son of God in a cave. We have such a prejudice, I think, is that we're these cool moderns who have these analytical, scientific minds, and those poor people back then, poor things, you know. This goofy girl comes up with this crazy story, and they all believe her. That's a complete act of condescension on our part. These were no fools. I mean, they might have been uh, uneducated, but they weren't fools. And in fact, there was a very subtle set of criteria, you might say, that people in this part of the world, uneducated, unsophisticated, but canny, a set of criteria they use to determine the difference between someone who's just carrying on in a crazy way and someone who really has seen something, you know? And they applied those criteria. I mean, they analyzed what she had said. And she was poked and prodded in so many ways. And part of the charm of Bernadette was that she was so blunt and ordinary and straightforward in her account. And she was very consistent. You know, there's a principle articulated by Gamaliel. It's in the Acts of the Apostles when they were saying, shouldn't we get rid of these Christians? And he very wisely said, look, why don't we leave them alone? If they're not of God, they're just going to fade away. If they are of God and we fight them, we will find ourselves fighting God. That's a really good principle. So something's going on. Something happened. What do we do? Why don't we leave it alone? See what happens. Think of all the people who've claimed extraordinary visions or locutions or they've seen something. What's come of it? Nothing. It fades away over time. Then you look at this. And you say, well, the Gamaliel principle, if we were fighting this, we probably were fighting God. I'm Mark Vinette. Thank you for sharing your time with me. Doctors endorse it. Nutritionists recommend it. And customers love it. Calotrin Healthy Weight Loss. Ron in Texas lost 35 pounds. Marie in Pennsylvania lost 117 pounds with Calotrin. Diane not only lost weight, but she also found relief from arthritis. Lynn lost over 45 pounds. 
Calitrin contains collagen, the most abundant protein naturally occurring in the human body, which decreases as we age. Taking Calitrin promotes better sleep, more energy, less joint pain, and best of all, weight loss. Calitrin has an amazing 86% success rate with their 90-day supply. And this week, take advantage of their President's Day sale. Buy the 90-day supply and get an extra month free plus free shipping. Ordering is so easy. Just text the word HISTORY to the code 30605 and we'll send you a link to this special offer. Again, text HISTORY, that's H-I-S-T-O-R-Y, using the code 30605.